see that coming. Ever had a moment like that? For some of you parents and grandparents and kids, that moment came in 1980. Yeah, in 1980. You were, you were just sitting there at the movie theater, minding your own business, watching a movie. And, and the movie was exciting. The, the plot was twisting and turning. There's so many things happening. And then all of a sudden, five words happened that changed your existence as you knew it. And those five words were this. No, I am your father. No one, no one in the movie theater saw Darth Vader as Luke Skywalker's father. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. That came out of nowhere. And, and more strange than that is that happened right after Han Solo was frozen in carbonite. I mean, you're thinking this huge bad accident with Flex Seal was the big part of the movie and nothing could get worse than that. But then all of a sudden, something more amazing happened. Here's the thing, though. Things like that don't just happen in a galaxy far, far away. Things like that happen in real life. We have moments in real life where we say, well, I, I didn't see that coming. Just think back over this last week. Have you had something surprise you? Have you had something shock you? Have you had something kind of throw you for a loop? Have you had something that, that stirred you with anger? Have you had something that stirred you with fear? Have you had something that stirred you with, with sadness? You see, the, the plots of life, they twist and they turn. They're high, they're low, they're exciting, they're, they're horrible. That, that's, that's how life works. It, it goes back and forth. And sometimes things don't end up like they started. That's what happened to David. About 3,000 years ago, David wrote a song. And this is how his song began. How long are you going to ignore me, God? God, how, how long are you going to leave me by myself? How long am I going to be stressed out? How long am I going to be anxious? How long am I going to have ulcers over this thing? God, how long is my enemy going to stand over me and gloat? How long, God, am I going to feel like I'm dying? God, how long are you just going to leave me for dead? God, how long are you going to do nothing? That's a catchy song, right? I think I can dance to it. So, so that's how the song begins. <laughs> Pretty heavy. So how does it end? How does the song end? And how does the end of the song have anything to do with you? Why does the end of David's song have anything to do with your life today? Let's see if we can find out. Psalm 13, verse 6. David says, I will sing to the Lord. Now, David hadn't been doing a whole lot of singing. It's, it's been kind of groaning. He's, he's been groaning a lot in this song so far. He's down. He's discouraged. He's, he's stressed out. He's anxious. He's overwhelmed with the problems in his personal life, and he's overwhelmed with the problems of the world. Ever, ever been there? Ever felt that way? So David, he's, he's overwhelmed, and, and using modern language, we might just say David is deeply depressed. He's deeply depressed. 
I feel like Sevilla Martin was probably reading Psalm 13 when she wrote her own song in 1905. The words of that song go a little bit like this. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Again, using updated language, why should I let Twitter discourage me? Why should I let talk radio overshadow my day, bring shadows to my day? She goes on. Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? Why should I let the events of the world or even a particular person make me feel ignored, abandoned, and alone? Why should we not give in to those things? Well, she tells us, when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. Not a casual friend, not a codependent friend, not even a consistent friend. Constant. That's who Jesus is. Constant friend. The Bible says Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is constant. He's not consistent. He's constant. He doesn't change. And so because all of that is true, Seville writes this, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. That's what's happening with David. David's remembering what he knows He knows that God was watching over him. He knows that God cared for him. He he knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was his salvation. He knew that God loved him with an everlasting love. He didn't feel it. (laughs) He's groaning in his song. He's not feeling it. But he knew it was true. He remembered that it was true. David's made it through what we might call the the lamenting part of the song. To lament means you take your questions about the pandemic and you take your questions about politics and you take your questions about problems in your family or at work or at school or wherever. You take those problems first and most. You take them to God. That's what it means to lament. You take them to God and you complain to God. That's, That's part of what lamenting means. That's what David's doing. He's complaining to God. He's taking all of his junk and says, God, here, do something with this. So he takes his questions, he takes his complaints to God, but then there's this shift in the action. And he begins to trust God. And he begins to sing. I know he watches me. Like it's happening. That the moment's happening. David's there. Chronicles of Narnia is a collection of books written by C.S. Lewis. The fourth book, The Silver Chair, was published in 1953. I was reading this week about David Felker. He's a minister in Mississippi. His mom grew up a huge Narnia fan. In 2013, she got cancer, and the first post that she put on her Caring Bridge page was about a moment from The Silver Chair. And it's a moment where Aslan the lion is is talking to a girl named Jill. And he's giving her some advice about how to do life. And this is what he says to her. Stand still. Remember, remember, remember the signs. 
Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange thing may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. I think of David's mom telling herself in the midst of new medicines and new doctors and and new doctor visits, remember the signs, remember the signs, remember the signs. Aslan goes on. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. That is why it is important to know all of these things by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Pay no attention to appearances. What are you paying attention to the most these days? When, when sickness comes, when the gas prices go up, when, when a new conflict from Washington erupts all over the news. What are you paying attention to the most? Is the truth of the Bible in the news feed of your heart and mind? Are the promises of God in the news feed of your heart and mind? Are you remembering, remembering, remembering? Listen, David is not just remembering the good old days of February 2020, okay? David's not remembering the time when everything could get back to normal because, again, for David, normal was being threatened all the time by armies, by spies, even by his own family. No, what David was remembering were the authentic, proven, constant, never-changing, unbreaking promises of God. He was remembering who God is. He was remembering who God was. He was remembering who God will always be. He was remembering, he was remembering, he was remembering, and he was singing. I know he watches me. He was there. David was there. He he wasn't confused. He was down, he was discouraged, but he was singing. Some of you may say, I I don't like singing. It's not my thing. Others are saying, well, I can't sing. I can't sing those old hymns. They're just too hard. Some of you are saying, well, I can't sing those new praise songs. They're just just too high. Some of you are saying, "I, I can't sing anything. I'm a terrible singer. Listen, the issue is not singing. The issue is, have you found your song? What does that mean? It means this. It means, do you really know God and is God really working in your life? Do you really know God and is God really working in your life? If so, you got a song. You, you have your song. I've been around music my whole life. When I was a kid, on, I think on Sunday afternoons after church, maybe Saturday nights for dinner, we had one of those you know, big, huge stereo players and my dad would throw on the uh, old records of Danny Davis and the Nashville Brass. All right. Yeah. We'd, we'd sit there and listen to me. Those are some of my earliest memories when I was a kid. The church I went to, we had choirs for every age group, three-year-old, a senior adult, and everybody had their own robes. You know, we, we had choirs for, for anybody and everybody. 
My sisters and I, we all took piano lessons, and, and uh, there was stacks of sheet music all around our piano, everything from hymn arrangements to Copacabana by Barry Manilow to, to Beth by Kiss. Yeah, there was sheet music for that. Yeah. I've sung in kids' choirs and middle school choirs and youth choirs and adult choirs at church. I've sung in ensembles and quartets. I've sung in the chorus at school. I've sung solos. I've sung down on the corner and out in the street with Willie and the poor boys. I've sung and been around music my whole life. And I've sung a lot and I've heard a lot sung. And there have been times, sadly, that I've, I've heard songs sung about God from someone who does not have a song about God. Meaning a, a song has been sung, a, a solo, a choir, or a chorus, whatever it may be, by a group of people, and it was sung great, and people applauded, and it was fantastic. But then that person didn't actually have a song. They were singing a song about a God they didn't know. One of my favorite Christian singers from you know, the last 30 years proclaims not to be a Christian. And there's more than just one. So don't get hung up on the singing. The singing is not the issue. Do you have a song? Is God working in your life? Do you know God? Are you in relationship with Him? Do you have a, a song? Fifteen years ago, my friends Doug and Karen had a, had a family, big family get-together at their house. It was a a New Year's thing. Karen's mom, Betty, came. Her, uh, Karen's dad had died many years before, and her mom had remarried a great guy named Fred. Fred and Betty were there that night, and, and they left to go home, but they never made it. There was a car accident, and they lost their lives instantly. I was one of the, the pastors that spoke at Fred and Betty's funeral. Also, was asked to, to lead the congregational hymn. I'll, I'll never forget this moment where I was standing in the, in the funeral home chapel there in Simpsonville, and, and I was leading this congregational hymn, and, and across the, the front row were Betty's kids, and Keith was there, her son, and, and just tears pouring down from his eyes, and the biggest smile I've ever seen in my life and hands in front of him turned up to heaven and he sang with great joy and there proclaim my God how great thou art Keith had just lost his mom in a tragic accident but he didn't lose his song he still sang of the greatness of God in the middle of his heartache. God is great in triumph, and God is great in tragedy. God is great in happiness, and God is great in heartbreak. God is great in the red states, and God is great in the blue states. God is great when the gas prices go up or when the political battles start. God is great, period, exclamation point. God is great all the time. And we need to sing about the greatness of God. Some Sundays, I don't want to sing. 
I just don't, you know? It's been one of those days, one of those weeks. I don't want to sing. It's like it's not there. Something's not right. You know what I need then? I need you to sing. I need you to sing. On the days that I don't feel like singing, I need to hear your voice. And you know what? There's some Sundays you don't want to sing. You don't. You know what you need? You need me to sing. See, we need to sing about the greatness of God together. Doesn't matter whether you sing it right or wrong. That's not the issue. Do you have a song? And if so, sing it. If there's anything we need from each other, it is singing about the truth and the greatness and the majesty of God. We need to hear each other sing the promises of God. We need it, and we need to do it together. It's how God designed it. We need to remember, remember, remember. Nick Offenkamp is a worship pastor in Minnesota. For some reason, I know that a walrus chased him once. I don't know anything about the story, but I kind of want to find out. That just sounds interesting. But Nick was writing something that went along these lines. He said some of the best worship leaders are never on a stage, never in a choir loft, never holding a microphone. He said some of the best and most powerful worship leaders are sitting in the pew. And then he shares some stories of times that he's seen that. Listen to these stories. The expecting mother who suffered a devastating miscarriage the day before, but through the tears sings out in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Then this one. The young professional who because of his Christian convictions on sexuality was fired from his dream job on Friday, but arrives on Sunday and belts out how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Then this one. The divorced woman battling loneliness and depression who declares, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, or and or. And one more. The 76-year-old husband and wife who recently buried their youngest daughter and two granddaughters but still sit in the second row on Sunday morning as they have for the past 40 years and they cry out, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast. Listen, don't get hung up on the singing. Don't get hung up on the singing. Find your song. Find your, your song. And it doesn't matter what the song is. It doesn't matter what's being sung. It doesn't matter if it's too high or too loud or too soft. You can still sing because your song has nothing to do with the music. Your song has everything to do with the fact that you know God and God knows you and He is working in your life. Remember, remember, remember the promises of God. David was. 
David found his song. He was singing the whole time, but he hadn't found his song yet. It was, it was kind of groaning. But then he found it. And what helped him find it? Look what he says in the last part of verse 6. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love this. David says, I will sing because God has dealt bountifully with me. Here's what's happening. David's having this moment where he's like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you, God? Why aren't you working? God, why are you leaving me alone? And, and then he stops. And he starts to, to remember his life. He starts to look at his entire life. He starts to remember his attitude in the middle of the song. His attitude in the middle of the moment. His attitude in the middle of the year, in the middle of the sickness, in the middle of whatever it may be. And David stops and he compares his attitude, he compares his history with the goodness and the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot the math. God has always dealt with me better than I deserve. God's always been bountiful to me. He's always been better to me than I deserve. You know why some people will not come to faith in Jesus? Because they're not willing to say that. They're not willing to say, God's been better to me than I deserve. David, he, he just got it. He just realized it. My friend Brad, he used to put it this way. He said, everything above hell is icing on the cake. Everything. Everything. So if you, if you are going to escape hell through salvation, then everything above hell is icing on the cake. There's a lot of truth in that. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, there are some extremely brilliant people that have argued against the existence of hell. Some extremely brilliant people that have argued against the validity of statements like this from Jesus. So I, I can't convince you to believe in Jesus. I can't convince you to believe in death. I can't believe, get you to convince you to believe in hell. But I can plead with you. I can plead with you to believe that these words from Jesus are true. And I can pray that God would help your heart and your mind see these truths and, and he might bring you to salvation. And I can also plead with you that the evidence about the existence of Jesus is strong. You have to have crazy faith to deny Jesus. You have to be a deeply faith-centered person to deny Jesus because the evidence is stick. And the evidence of his actions and his words, his truth, the consistency, the, the constancy of who he is, those things are, are highly authentic. So I would say that although I cannot convince you of the, the concept of hell, the concept of a, a death that never ends, pain that never fades, I can't convince you of those things, but, but I will say because of the high evidence and authenticity of Jesus when it comes to the nature of hell and eternal death, I, I tend to agree with this statement about what Jesus said about hell. And it goes like this. I cannot believe he was crying wolf. 
it's, it's highly unlikely that Jesus was just trying to start a church. See, David, he was stressed out. He was anxious. He was down. He was discouraged. He was depressed. He was angry. He was sad. He, he was just about everything. All of that was happening. Life was nerve-wracking. It was discouraging. But things between him and God were great. Things between him and God were great. So since things with him and God were great, since things were right between him and God, it changed every other thing in his life. All of it. Everything changed because David knew he was right with God. He remembered that he was right with God. I was reading something this week and, and top left of the page and, and I came across these two words. I was like, oh, wow. And I circled them. And then I kept reading like two paragraphs down maybe and came across two more words. I was like, oh, wow. Circle those. And then I drew a line between the two circles. They didn't have anything to do with one another. Completely different thoughts on the page. But I drew a line because I had this moment where when I got to the second words, I went, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't. So here's the first, actually, I'm going to do the second two words first. Here's the second two words that I circled. Denying reality. Denying reality. I circled that. It's like, ooh. And, and those two words were in a question talking about people who challenge Christians, criticize Christians, for denying the reality of everything that's happening in the world or everything that's happening in the church or everything that's happening at the, the taco food truck, whatever it is, just denying reality. But let's be honest. It's not just people. It's also Christians. Every week I am in conversations with people. Somewhere, somehow, this state, another state, another county, wherever, where I hear Christian challenging Christians saying, man, you're just denying reality. You're just denying what's happening in the world. You just keep acting like God and faith in God is the answer to everything. You're denying what's going on. I hear it all the time. But that's why the second two words were, were so cool. Because I'd already read those words. And when I got to the bottom and served, like, oh, oh man, I, I didn't see that coming. Here are the second two words. Deliberately trusting. Deliberately trusting. Listen, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I can tell you the fight of my life right now. The fight of my life is making sure that I do not deny reality, but likewise that I deliberately trust. It's what I'm fighting to do every day. Trying not to deny reality, but trying to deliberately trust. Deliberately trusting in the promises of God. Not denying reality, but remembering, remembering, remembering the promises of God. I'm fighting to deliberately trust in God because CNN and Twitter and Fox News and every other person on the planet is trying to tell me, stop, Dow. Stop trusting God. Don't trust Him. Be afraid. Be angry. Be worried about everything that's going on in the world power to all of it. 
Listen, I've never had a moment where I'm afraid to get COVID or I'm afraid to die from COVID. I don't wear a mask because I'm afraid. I'm wearing a mask because it just seems like one thing I can do to help others and I could care less if it helps others. And if you don't wear a mask, great. If you do wear a mask, great. But I'm not afraid. I'm deliberately trusting And taking my mask off doesn't make me a better Christian. And putting my mask on doesn't make me a better Christian. Neither one have anything to do with trusting God. They're just things. They're just stuff we do. We don't deny reality. We deliberately trust. We look at everything and we fight to say, I know he watches me. I know it. That's what we're fighting for. I don't know, maybe I'm alone. Maybe you don't have to fight that fight. (laughs) Maybe life's easy peasy for you. It's not for me. I I, I gotta fight. I gotta fight. It's a good fight. You you know why it's a good fight? Because it keeps bringing me back to the one who made me, the one who loves me, the one who saved me, the one who cares for me, the one who will deliver me from evil. Today is the anniversary of the birth of our church. On February 4th, 1955, the, the first group of people gathered to talk about starting Holland Avenue Baptist Church. They voted to buy 100 folding chairs. That's important, right? Somebody, you got to have somewhere to sit. The second meeting was six days later. And the notes about that meeting say that they closed that meeting that night with the first song that this church ever sang. First song. So on that Thursday night, these were the words that those folks sang. The Lord has promised good to me. And nothing you'll see on social media can change that today. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Dear Christian, can I just say, can we be this bold? From the, from the very beginning, the first week of this church, those were the words in the air. Can we throw them back up in the air in our lives? Can we be so bold and so courageous and so daring to live in deliberate truth that all of that is correct? Can we deliberately trust in God in such a way that we say all of his promises are true and nothing can take those promises away from me? Can we remember, remember, remember the signs? Can we remember, remember, remember the promises? And here's why. Because as that song goes on to say, when we've been there 10,000 years, look, I'm honest, I'm just trying to get through the next 10 minutes, okay? Next 10 days. 10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, we will not be thinking about masks. When we've been there 10,000 years, we will not be thinking about politics. 
When we've been there 10,000 years, we will not be thinking about gas prices. So why not start today? We don't have to deny reality to deliberately trust. We can engage with reality and deliberately trust. Because when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will have no less days to sing God's praise than when all of that first begun. In other words, when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll be looking around with deep, rich, joyful satisfaction over and over again, looking at the glory and the beauty and the power, the authority, the grace, and the love of Jesus. And we will just keep saying, wow, I did not see that 